Welcome to TaxTube's Taxplanations. This is the second in our short series on proposed changes to the OECD's model tax convention that were released for public comment in July this year. This series will explain the main changes so you can better understand and anticipate what's coming up. Of course, this is no substitute for reading the proposals themselves, but listening to this tax explanation will certainly take you less time than reading through all 276 pages of the discussion draft. In this episode, we'll be taking a look at the proposed changes for pension funds, dual residence and capital gains. Pension funds will now be certain of getting treaty benefits even if they're fully exempt from tax in their state of residence. This is achieved by amending the current definition of a resident to include qualifying pension funds, now known as recognised pension funds. Not surprisingly, the concept of a recognised pension fund is also defined under the new model, but of course does not include the condition that it's liable to tax. The change means in particular that pension funds would get treaty benefits such as reduced withholding taxes in the other treaty state. Having said that, this will only be a real change for a small number of countries since most OECD members already treat pension funds as residents. Whether it will apply for those states that don't will obviously depend on whether they modify their bilateral treaties to include pension funds. At any rate, the change is not included in the OECD's multilateral instrument. The new provision is also not new in the sense that it was already dealt with in a discussion draft issued by the OECD in early 2016. The draft model also changes the way dual resident companies are treated. Companies that are resident in more than one state cause a number of problems, including the risk of being taxed twice on the same income. To solve this, the current OECD model includes a tiebreaker for such dual resident companies. This works by treating the company as a resident of just one state, that is the state where it's effectively managed. That will change under the draft model and the dual residents will now have to be resolved by negotiations between the two treaty states. Those negotiations will take place under the mutual agreement procedure in Article 25 of the Model Convention, so any changes to that procedure also need to be taken into account in a specific case. However, that doesn't mean that the dual residence can be resolved under an arbitration procedure, if there is one included in the treaty, so that means that there is no guarantee of a resolution. That's important because until the authorities agree on the resident status, the company will not automatically be eligible for treaty benefits. Although the concept of effective management will no longer be used as a simple tiebreaker, it's still a factor that has to be taken into account in the mutual agreement discussions, along with the place of incorporation and any other relevant factors. Examples of these other factors were already given in the commentary and have been retained and include things like the place of directors' meetings and location of day-to-day -day management. The reason for the change is that the OECD has noted a number of tax avoidance cases involving dual resident companies. The idea itself is not new since it was already included in the commentary as a possible alternative to the effective management tiebreaker. It was also put forward as the preferred approach in the BEPS Action 6 report on tax treaty abuse. So what's happened now is that it's been elevated to become the standard rule. For some states, nothing will change since they've already preempted the new provision by including it in their bilateral treaties, and more may follow since the new text is included in the OECD's multilateral instrument. Although, since it's not a minimum standard, the extent to which this becomes the new norm will depend on the extent to which states opt out of the provision. Let's move on now to dividends and capital gains. A lot of the proposed changes in the new model are aimed at stopping arrangements that aim to get treaty benefits that they're not supposed to get, in other words to counter treaty abuse. 
Two of these focus on dividends and capital gains and deal with the issue in a similar way. For dividends, the concern is that in order to get the lower withholding tax rate, all the shareholder has to do is to hold at least 25% of the shares at the time the dividend is paid. So there's nothing said about how long that shareholding must be held. That opens the door to abuse where, for example, a shareholder acquires additional shares just before the dividend payment just to get the benefit of the lower withholding tax rate. Under the new rule, the lower rate would only apply if the shares are held for a 365-day period. A similar timing issue arises under the capital gains article dealing with real estate companies. Real estate companies are in essence companies that have more than 50% of their assets invested in real estate in one of the treaty states. If a shareholder in the other state makes a capital gain on the shares in that company, the model convention says that the gain can be taxed by the state where the real estate is located. So different from the normal rule that says only the shareholder's state of residence can tax. The perceived abuse in this case relates to the ability to manipulate the 50% real estate threshold. Again, under the current model, this is only tested at the time the shares are disposed of and the gain arises. That gives a shareholder the opportunity to contribute non-real estate assets like cash to a company just before disposal so that the real estate interest is diluted to below the 50% threshold. There would then be no right to tax the gain in the state where the real estate was located. To prevent this, the draft model changes would add a 365-day testing period up to the date of the disposal of the shares, so that the state where the real estate is located can tax if the company holds the minimum percentage of real estate at any time during that period. Not surprisingly, these two changes are included in the multilateral instrument. However, unlike the general anti-treaty shopping provisions, these are not minimum standards, so there's a lot of flexibility built into these two provisions, including not to apply them at all. That's all for now on the proposed changes to the OECD Model Tax Convention. In our next episode, we'll be taking a look at the proposed changes to the definition of permanent establishments. Until then, this is Barry Larking, thanking you for listening to TaxTube's Taxplanations. <laughs>